Welcome, it's Michael James Lauren with the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. What a great guest tonight, Dr. Sam Metcalf. He has a wonderful book, it's called Beyond the Local Church, How Apostolic Movements Can Change the World. So here's the idea here. The church is responsible for so much in getting the gospel out. Certainly people go to church every Sunday, okay? But people have so many ministries out there, and they feel sometimes like second-class citizens. So where does the parachurch play a part in the body of Christ? We're going to find out. Welcome to the program, Dr. Metcalf. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. We are happy to have you on. So there's so many people listening right now that have ministries of their own. They're not part of the local church, if you will, as far as being a pastor, elder, deacon, and so forth. And uh, sometimes people feel like, uh, is it really legitimized what they're doing? Are they uh, authorized by the local church? How would you answer that in some of the people that uh, just want to feel like they belong? Well, Michael, that's really the reason the book was written. It's to uh, validate, it's to affirm, and it's it's to legitimize those men and women who God calls to ministry that's not part of a local church. And uh, that's, for example, one of the chapters in there is why parachurch is a dirty word. Because uh, what we try to explore in the book is why biblically and theologically and historically and missiologically, the whole concept of parachurch just isn't isn't really accurate. Uh, that those of us that are launched off, whether it's Young Life or World Vision or Crew or CRM, the outfit I'm with, that's as legitimately church as the the First Presbyterian Church down the corner. Uh, so that's the basic theme of the book. Is so to give those folks um, a sense of God's calling, and it's very legitimate. And it's not second class. Dr. Metcalf, how did we get here? I mean, how did the church get so much control, whereas uh, what people are doing, whether it be a movement of the Lord, that they should question whether or not it's authorized or not, or feel like it's a second class type of activity? And uh, historically, uh, could you give us a little bit of a background on that and uh, what went wrong here? That's a great question. Um, You know, I think some of this is, is actually rather unique to Protestants. And some of this actually tracks back to the Reformation, where we, as Protestants, we, we, Luther and and company and Calvin and so forth, in their reaction to uh, legitimate things that were abuses within the the Roman Catholic Church, what they did, they threw the baby out with the bathwater. And they reacted not just to the Catholic uh, abuses, but they reacted to the Catholic structures. And we as Protestants have struggled with that ever since. I mean, from the time of the Reformation to about 275 years later, uh, Protestants, sometimes missiologists call it the Great Omission, Protestants basically buried or never responded to uh, missional structures. And it took a a man in Britain called William Carey to come along and reintroduce into the Protestant world uh, that type of redemptive structure uh, you know, he's called the father of modern missions that goes beyond local churches. And, uh, I mean, and the, the truth of the matter is, around the world, we never really see movements of the gospel without both the church in its local form and the church in its more apostolic or missionary form. And they're very different, different sets of characteristics. They're different structures, but both are absolutely critical And like I said, there's really never been movements of the gospel without both of those things 
uh, working in interdependence and in tandem. But when one controls the other, or one has uh, says it's legitimate and the other is not, inevitably, historically, the Christian movement is uh, it's put back, and it's it's hurt, it's damaged. Dr. Metcalf, I want to be nice about this, but sometimes it feels that the local church is a bit dead, and there's a restrictiveness about it. And sometimes, I mean, it's hard to believe that something might be even going on in the church. And of course, the title of your book, Being Beyond the Local Church, How Apostolic Movements Can Change the World. So uh, how do people get involved with an apostolic movement, number one, where it seems like they could do more than just kind of sit in the pews and be part of this uh, dying church that's happening today. Why does that happen? Why can't we do more? There's a fundamental structural reason for some of that, and that's that the church in its local form is predominantly and primarily there to conserve and and to uh, capitalize on on um, uh, evangelism, to capitalize on ministry, and uh, local churches are not. They're not, by the very nature of how they're structured, they're not designed to take uh, and pioneer new ground, other than predominantly near neighbor. And that's where, where local churches do have the responsibility. But just like in the book of Acts, and we can go back in the Old Testament, we can go through all of church history, if we're going to cross barriers, whether they're uh, linguistic or whether it's um, a cultural barrier or whether it's... Um, even a geographic barrier, that takes a different type of structure. And churches are not geared up to do that. And um, it's it just, it's, it's, it's the reality of what the Christian movement has been like for 2,000 years. So we, we shouldn't be expecting, we wouldn't expect every person sitting in a pew in a local church to have the same level of commitment, vision, or ministry that Mother Teresa had or that Jim Elliott had, or, I mean, we go right down the list. That just isn't going to happen. Uh, but there has to be structures for people like that who have, you know, I use the term apostolic calling. There has to be structures for those people to live out their calling. So the more the merrier on that. Um, just like you said earlier in the conversation, there's thousands of these types of structures in the United States today. And they don't, you know, Michael, they don't exist because local churches aren't doing what they're supposed to do. They're doing, they exist because they're doing things that local churches cannot and should not be expected to do. Uh, the local churches are structurally incapable of doing. It's always been that way. And um, uh, again, we can go back and the historical examples are just legion on this. It's such an interesting topic because there are people who are in the pews and they're gifted in such a way and they want to do so much more than just show up on Sunday. And so sometimes if you're not just part of, I guess, working in the church, you know, how do you get involved? What do you do? How do you use your giftedness? And so I'd like to ask, if you would, could you explain what apostolic gifting and calling is? And if you don't mind, I'd just like to add, it almost reminds me of the Apple commercial, you know? Here's to the rebels, the troublemakers, you know, people who just want to do more than just the status quo. Sure. And there's several chapters in the book where I kind of go into this in, in terms of what, what is apostolic gifting? apostolic calling. Um, and that's a whole area today that, that we just don't, we don't hear much about that. And part of it's fear, because there is some goofiness out there about this. But if we go into Ephesians 4 or Ephesians 2.20, I mean, it's, it's, and I'm not talking about 
I'm talking about apostolic as sent ones, people who are sent. And uh, that's the basic biblical definition. Um, but, but the problem is, you're right. Those types of people, they, they, can, cre- they can create a lot of dust-ups in existing local churches, because most local churches don't know what to do with them. I mean, these are the entrepreneurs. That, yeah, apostolic gifting in the Christian realm are like entrepreneurs are in the business realm. They're the ones that start things out of nothing. They're the ones that are, you know, it's the Star Trek thing. They're going to go where no person's ever gone before. Uh, they're the ones that can't sit still. Uh, they're the people that that want to pioneer. And that's different than the people that need to be cared for and settled. Unfortunately, in most of our, well, not unfortunately, but in most local church environments, we have pastors and shepherds and teachers, and they're the ones that know how to care for the flock. That's not the same thing of the ones that want to uh, take off into the interior of China or head off to Afghanistan or want to be figuring out how to um, head into the Middle East. That's not, it's a difference in settlers and pioneers. And God has two separate structures for both of those, and they're both equally church. And and when movements of the gospel ever happen, both of those are working, and they're working in tandem with one another. And there's healthy, uh, healthy independence and interdependence. That suggests the historical, and I think it's even the biblical record. And, you know, just one caveat here on this. Uh, I'm not at all anti-local church, believe me. I think if you read the book, you'll see that that's not the case. The church in its local form is not enough. It is not enough, never has been, never will be. What we do is, as missionaries, I mean, I oversee an outfit that has about 500 missionaries around the world in about 80 countries. What we're doing, we're doing by the calling of God and by the design of God, and it's not some aberration. It's not because local churches aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Dr. Metcalf, I'm sure there are a lot of people, they want to see the Lord work, and certainly there to be uh, revivals in this country and so forth. And people have even said, and you, you mentioned this in your book, that sometimes education actually hinders this movement or this uh, thirst that people have for Jesus. And to get out there, uh, we're kind of brainwashed into thinking, oh, you got to go to seminary or the more education, then then you'll be approved to have some sort of ministry in, in this world. Can you comment on that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and same way. I mean, I've got two seminary degrees, but I think uh, I quote make a, a quote of Ralph Winter in the book where he makes a pretty startling claim. He says, any denomination, church environment, or movement today that relies solely on those people who have um, solely in in their leadership for those people who have been uh, through formal education, without exception, those denominations, churches, or movements are dying. So formal education, while it's got a place and makes a contribution, relying on that to be the leadership training vehicle is a huge blunder, particularly in the Protestant world. So, uh, and requiring higher education, when that, I mean, there's almost an inverse dynamic that goes on, and that's the higher the educational uh, attainment that we require for leadership, there's an inverse trajectory of, of uh, move, the movemental aspect of the Christian movement being hindered. 
Yes, it's a good point that you make, because I heard that in seminary myself, that you have to beware of parachurch ministries, because your first priority time and resources should be your local church, they said, and then anything else can be maybe a bit of a distraction or confusion. Uh, can you talk about that? Oh, well, it's 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 actually just bad. It's bad ecclesiology, and it, it's it, unfortunately it gets propagated in our seminaries and our Bible schools. And uh, one gener- and part of that's because of the people that end up teaching in those environments are teachers and their pastors. It's very rare you're going to have somebody with apostolic gifting in in higher education. What gets propagated, and I talk about it in the book, is uh, what I labeled in there as the um, the myth of uh, the supremacy of the church local. There's just no way to back that biblically or to back it historically, or to back it missiologically. Um, and that's why I, make a pretty, I try to make a pretty strong argument that the whole concept of parachurch is demeaning. You know, parachurch, paramedical, paralegal, it means less than. And I don't think that's the case in the New Testament. I don't think uh, university, or I don't believe that uh, young life, there's nothing para about them. They're not less than. They are church in its mobile missionary form, and uh, it's not. They're not local churches, and neither is the outfit that I lead. Uh, but we're not less than. So that's. I've got one chapter in there that talks about how Mother Teresa was not a para-Catholic. I mean, Catholic environments or Orthodox environments, they laugh at this stuff. They go, "What? Para? No. I mean, in their Catholic orders and those sorts of things, those people were not second class." I mean, in, in the Catholic environment today, 700,000-plus people out of a billion are in those orders, those missionary entities. And that's where the vibrancy of the Catholic Church is. I mean, that's where the evangelism takes place. That's where that's, that's the core of, of uh, spiritual vitality. And people really want that. I mean, Christians want to see something happen. They want to do something for the Lord as they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And many times it may seem that they're forced to go at it alone, only because it's like making the football team. They didn't make the choir, or they didn't make an evangelism team or something like that. And so, you know, coming up with your own ministry and feeling that it's validated, it certainly is encouraging the things that you're saying. How can we have more of that? You know, Michael, there's so many people right now who are sitting on the sidelines longing and waiting to invest their lives in something of significance. And for many of those folks, they need to be doing that in structures that will capitalize on that and allow them to to thrive and to flourish. And uh, for many of those people, particularly if they've got apostolic gifting, uh, most local churches, but it's not. I'm not dissing local churches. They just are not structurally capable of accommodating that type of giftedness. And historically, what happens is that, and this isn't spiritual one-upmanship in any way, shape, or form. But historically, spiritual vitality, vision, uh, all of that has has almost always flowed from the missionary uh, entities, from uh, the, the orders, the missionary teams, all that flows from those things over and back into the local church structures. Uh, I mean, it's true in the Catholic environment, where about 50% of, um, of the, the popes actually came from the Catholic orders. 
And almost across the board, those are the ones with the spiritual vitality. They're the people that, that breathe life back into um, the hierarchy, and they breathe life back into uh, the, the parishes and the diocesan structure. Same thing with the Celtic movement. Uh, I mean, that was, that was a movement that lasted for a thousand years, but they got this distinction very, very clear. Dr. Metcalf, what I found fascinating about your ministry, CRM, which is short for Church Resource Ministries, is that it's not a one-size-fit-all type of situation that you would think, as we talk about in the seminar, you take into consideration everyone's personality, psychology, uh, uniqueness, and giftedness, and you work with that, I mean, which is great, because uh, not everybody is cut out for uh, one type of ministry. They have an entrepreneurial spirit, as you mentioned. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is you provide the kind of uh, guidance where people could really flourish and be all that they are to be in Christ in, in the kind of ministry they were meant to be. And sometimes I guess people can be stifled in ministry, and you kind of set them free a little bit. I, that's in a nutshell what I'm trying to say. Sure. Well, the whole thing with uh, uh, one of the chapters I deal with, what is what is apostolic, what's apostolic gifting, and, and we talk about the whole, we call it holy discontent, and how that, that surfaces when you, we try to take somebody with that type of, of calling and, and pigeonhole them into the wrong structure. Um, so, so one of the reasons that apostolic structures or missionary structures are able to have uh, the vigor and able to have the sense of um, dynamism that's that's there is because they're they're what I talk about in the book they're, they're second decision uh, people that are there. So most local churches are made up of first decision people, meaning I decide to trust Jesus and I can be a member of this body. Now second decision people are very different. They not only make that first decision, but then they say, I'm going to commit my life and my vocation to people of similar calling. And they commit to being a person that's going to work with Young Life, or is going to go with a uh, to uh, SIM to Africa, or they're going to... And, and they commit to a different uh, layer or level of fervency. Um, now, the difference is those two types of structures are very different. Because when you get a second decision person, second decision calling and structures, we can exercise discipline there that we could never exercise in a local church. You know, if somebody with Wycliffe Bible Translates out there is, is, is messing up, you know what Wycliffe does? They fire them. You and I have probably been in situations in lots of local churches. You don't fire people from membership in a local church. I mean, it's really, really hard to exercise that type of discipline. But that's because they're, both these two structures are made up of different types of people. It also means that the uh, longevity and the spiritual longevity of those things, the life cycle of those two structures are very, very different. God is pretty nimble, isn't he? Using people as instruments in different ways, different backgrounds and personalities. And there might be some people thinking, well, Dr. Metcalf, what about the megachurch? Now, my megachurch can do it all. What would you have to say to someone who says something like that? Sure, but even in, even in Michael, even in mega churches, even the very best uh, of mega churches cannot do. I mean, what mega church can do worldwide? What Wycliffe is able to do in terms of Bible translation? What what mega church can do worldwide? What International Justice Mission can do regarding sex trafficking? 
uh, what megachurch can do, what World Vision is able to do uh, worldwide. I mean, it's even the very best megachurch cannot do what God calls specialized uh, missionary uh, apostolic type entities to accomplish. And that's why, for the for the good news to really be movemental, both of these are absolutely critical. There's no there's no movements without it. I mean, local churches by themselves do not, will not, and are capable of creating movements. There's got to be an additional structure there for movements to actually take place. Wait a minute, Dr. Metcalf, and then there are people who are going to say, well, how are you going to raise money if you're not connected completely to the church? And, of course, you talk about that in your book. And can you tell our audience a little bit about that? Sometimes you mention that uh, our calling is validated when we raise money from other people. Sure, and the whole the whole concept of raising money uh, I mean, Henry Nowen's got a wonderful little book on uh, the spirituality of fundraising. I mean, oftentimes the ability to raise funds, to raise personal support, like most missionaries do or have done for a couple thousand years, starting with Apostle Paul. I mean, that, that whole concept of raising uh, the necessary funding uh, oftentimes is a validating um, experience it shows that people have the vision and the entrepreneurial and apostolic get up and get to um, to actually launch out into those types of things. So that's not a bad thing at all. Raising money is uh, can be a uh, I mean, there, there's a there's a deeply spiritual and validating thing about that if done correctly. Yeah, Dr. Metcalf, you've done your homework on this subject, that's for sure. And I pray that there are many people who are maybe sitting on the couch who have all these God-given gifts that are ready to use it now and launch off. Of course, the book is called Beyond the Local Church, How Apostolic Movements Can Change the World. Dr. Sam Metcalf, we appreciate you joining us. You have a blessed day, and God bless you. Thanks so much, Michael. My privilege.